Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here, and thank you for making us your church home for an hour today. We're going to continue with our series on the fruit of the Spirit. So turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> title of the message today is The Fruit of the Spirit, Peace. Peace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Jumping to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. The same writer is now writing to a different church, Paul. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your spirit, your gentle spirit, be made known to all men, for the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, help as we study your word today. Last week we talked about joy, the prior week we talked about love, today we're going to talk about peace. Peace is uh, one of those things that is no less supernatural than the prior two. It is not the absence of conflict or tension, it is actually the intentional insertion of the Holy Spirit and his manifestation in your life that allows for the circumstances to no longer define you if they are untoward that you are actually being motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life rather than being prompted by the circumstances that are facing you. And in the midst of those adverse circumstances, you find yourself still at peace. It doesn't come by mind over matter. It is not that. It is not you beginning to center yourself and come into this place of nirvana, which means nothing. I'm not saying that as a describer of what I feel about nirvana, that's actually what it means. Nothing. You come into this place where you center yourself and your mind is now free from all of the outside stuff. The problem is when you center yourself on yourself, you have more problems because you're a mess. You have to ignore you in order to find peace because you've got problems on the inside. You're selfish. You don't do right. You don't think right. You don't say right. Brett is the problem. It's not the enemy. It's not the devil who I have to contend with on a regular basis more than me. I have to contend with me more than him. In fact, I'm convinced that the devil doesn't have to give a lot of time to most of y'all. You know how to self-destruct really well. You are your own worst problem. And so... It's not about centering on me in order to shut out all the world and mm. No. 
It's about intentionally concentrating on the God who created me, realizing I am so flawed, I can't figure out how to be right. God, if I concentrate on you, you bring peace with you. And you begin to allow me to not just ignore my circumstances, but now to really apply faith to my circumstances, realizing that you are the God who was before all my issues. And you are God before them, you're God in them, and you will be God after them. You knew they were coming, and if I trust you in the midst of it, I'm going to be more centered than I've ever been because I'm centered on your word, your promises, and your presence. This is the biblical peace about which Paul is speaking. And this is supernatural. It's not just a concentration of thought. It is the intentional insertion of the Holy Spirit in your life and God's promises as you know them to be true in his word and then allowing the manifestation of his presence to be that which now exercises itself through you so that the peace overcomes the storm. The disciples in Matthew chapter 4 were going out of their minds. They were in a boat and they were experienced on the Sea of Galilee which experienced unusual storms from time to time. No warning. You didn't even have to have clouds because it was a mountain range fairly close to the Sea of Galilee. And, and if a low-pressure system came in over that range, cold air would just flow down the mountain and all of a sudden it hit the sea. Didn't have anything to do with whether there were clouds. We're not talking about lightning. We're just talking about wind. Jesus told them, go to the other side. And they were doing it as best they could, but the wind was fierce and the disciples were so afraid again seasoned fishermen on the sea, so afraid that they thought they were going to die. Jesus was in the hull. He was asleep while the storm was going on. And all the disciples were working. I mean, they were working hard, trying to bail as quickly as they could, get the water out faster than it was coming in, but they weren't doing a good job because it was coming in too fast. Jesus was asleep, which made them believe he really didn't care. I know you've never been in a position where it seemed like more water was coming in than you could bail. And you wondered to yourself, God, where are you? Do you not care? Peter goes to Jesus, says these words, do you not care that we are perishing? Now what Peter should have said, whatever he should have said, should have been more respectful. (laughs) Whatever you needed to say to God, whenever you said what you said that was wrong, should have been more respectful because he has cared for you so well. The fact that you are still breathing is evidence of his care for you. And the difficulty through which you went two years ago that you thought was the end of the world, do you remember that sky falling thing you went through? Life is about to come to an ultimate end. You, I mean, it was so bad that you, you, you thought about doing other stuff that would be really worse than what you were in. And yet, here you are. It may not have been fun to go through, but he did make it through with you. You made it through with him. He brought you through. All that just seems to fly away in the present circumstance. We need to be more respectful when we talk to God with a memory that works. Do you not care? Are you kidding me? Jesus got up, didn't even respond. He doesn't respond to that question. No need to ask. He doesn't respond. Jesus got up, got on the bow of the boat, and just simply (laughs) said this to the wind and the waves. Please be quiet. 
Hush, be still. The disciples thought he was getting up to get a pail. That's what they thought. Well, finally, we need another hand to get the water out of the boat. He didn't pick up anything. He just went to the bow and said, shh. Immediately the wind stopped. Immediately the waves ceased. I mean, the power of God's word is pretty heavy. See, waves don't stop until they hit something. There's no reason for them to stop. The kinetic energy just keeps on going until it hits something. It hit the word. (laughs) The waves hit the word. And boom! It was so powerful. The disciples sitting there soaking wet went like this. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Answer, he's the one who's for you. He's still doing that. Stopping the waves and the winds and the storms in your life to bring peace. Peace is a supernatural manifestation of him being in your life. Paul works really hard here at trying to make sure that the the church in Philippi understands how peace is intentionally inserted into their reality. Now we are jumping from Galatians to Philippi, meaning the, the letters, because we don't have a whole lot of explanation in Galatians about what peace is. But because it's the same writer, we can get his philosophy behind what he was trying to say to the church at Galatia if we look at the writing to the Philippians. And he says this. First of all, if if you want to have peace, you've got to be something. And so there are two things on this topic about which I want to talk to you. One, making sure you, you obtain the peace of God. And two, that you invite the God of peace. Obtain the peace of God. And invite the God of peace. So he said, if you want the peace of God, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to be something. Be not anxious. Don't be anxious. Anxiety is just fear manifested. It's believing the wrong thing. It's putting your ideas and your trust in something bad. The worst possible outcome to the circumstance. And it does nothing to increase your ability to believe in God, nor make you grow. In fact, it etches away, chips away at your faith and confidence, which should be built in these moments, because everybody who has any inkling to believe that God is true can believe God is true when nothing is going wrong. Everybody can do that, but it takes some some real... I believe it even when I don't see it, which is what faith is. It takes some real faith to say, even though it doesn't feel like he's here, I know he is. Even though it doesn't look like he cares, I know he does. Even though I don't, I don't feel any provision, I know he's got it in the wings and it's on its way. It takes people who trust him like that. And why does God want his people to trust him like that? 
because the world doesn't have any faith. You've got to have faith for them. At some point, we've got to get way beyond our need to believe for ourselves. And all of the things that God is taking you through are the things that are helping you to grow so you can get beyond the need to believe just for your needs. When you, when you go past there, then you can begin to say, okay, now I've got the faith to believe for your needs. And this world has no faith. That's why Jesus was so effective in his ministry, among many other reasons. I mean, when you're God, it's hard to not be effective. But he was so effective in that he believed his needs were already met. So he wasn't concerned about making sure he had food the next day or raiment or a place to lay his head. He was concerned about this widow who lost her son. I got to have faith for that. I got to have faith for you 12 knuckleheads that don't get it. I got to have faith for all these people out here who are trying to figure out how to get some food when they've been out in the wilderness and Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. They have to, how are we going to make something happen here? And he had the faith to take five loaves and two fish and produce food for 5,000 men. Not just the women, 10,000 people. We need to get way beyond the need that we have to believe God for ourselves. I'm not saying ignore your needs. I'm saying use the opportunities that you have to express your faith as practice so you can grow to another place of being able to provide for the world. God allows these things to happen so you can grow up into something else. And not always be the baby chick in the nest who is, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> That was ugly. I'm sorry. That was really ugly. I just saw myself. I said, don't do that again. <laughs> he says, you got to not be anxious. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not gather into barns, nor do they harvest. Yet your heavenly Father provides for them. Are you not worth much more? Oh, you of little faith. Look at the grass of the field. Beautiful flowers. Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like them. Yet tomorrow... The lawnmower's coming. They're going to be cut down and, the, and thrown into the fire. If God arrayed them with such glory, don't you think he cares about you? Oh, you of little faith. Don't be like the world that constantly has to look for this stuff and seek after that stuff. You be different. Because my father cares for you differently. You seek after my kingdom and the righteous things therein doing right regularly, and know that when you do that, he will provide all the other stuff you need because there are very few people who seek first the kingdom. And when he finds people who will do it, he realizes you're only human and you can't do it all. So since you are seeking first the kingdom, I'm going to make sure you don't have to seek for the other stuff. Now, it doesn't mean you ignore your needs. It doesn't mean you don't go to work anymore. Go go. (laughs) Go to work. Go to work. It simply means that they won't have to be the primary thing after which you look because you're seeking the kingdom first. And you don't have to give a lot of attention that you would normally do in order to provide for yourself. You can actually 
come to church on Sunday rather than trying to find another gig, a side hustle with an Uber. You can actually come to church because you, you realize, wait a minute now, if I seek first the kingdom, that little bit of cash that I would have earned on the side, the Lord will provide for me. He'll do that. He'll do that. I'll figure it out. If I seek first the kingdom, he's going to make sure all this other stuff happens because that's how he loves you. And he wants to provide for you like that on a regular basis so you can understand his provision so that other people can be explained to, the, to, to them. You can explain to them how he provides so you can produce something in their lives that inspires faith for them to believe. God says, don't be anxious. Don't do it. Anxiety is an enemy. When I, when I, when I, I was growing up, you know, mama would... As you get to be a teenager, you're driving and you're going places, and Mama's always concerned. And I said, Mama, don't worry. I'm good. I'm a, I'm a pretty good driver. I haven't gotten to... My job is to worry. <laughs> it's my job to worry. <laughs> what are you going to do? How are you going to argue with that? Mama's in charge. But there are some things we feel like we need to give more concern that we really, than we really need to give because we don't feel like we're being responsible but what does your worry do? Help me. What you need to do instead of worry is pray. Which is what Paul says next. Don't be anxious, but in prayer. So we need to be prayerful. And the two words he uses there is prayer and supplication. Now the prayer part is, is really not so much a request as it is an attitude. It's a communion with God that allows you to have unbroken fellowship with him on a regular basis. It's, it's, a, it's a demeanor, it's a lifestyle that when you are connected to him, your relationship to him allows you to feel his presence in such a way that you don't worry about a thing because you know he's with you. You're not concerned. And there's something about the tangible presence of God in your life that does something. We're going to get to that in a minute. It does something different for you. Prayer allows you to get there in a hurry. And then there's the supplication, which is the, the individual requests that you might have to God. Yes, we need to talk to him, but we need to listen, too. You, you, ever, you, ever, you ever been with a person with whom they think you're having a conversation, but it's really a monologue? I hope that's not you. But you know what I'm talking about, that person that just sucks all the air out of the room? They just, it, it, you, you ask one question, and 20 minutes later... <laughs> you just, uh, uh, yeah, right, uh-huh. You're thinking, how do we wind up here? That's how God feels when you talk too much. How do we wind up here? Stop. You're not a very good conversationalist with God. You can't talk on his level very well. Listen. Get your requests out, do that. But use your prayer time more to listen. Take your Bible with you in prayer so you know how he speaks. Are you listening to me? You add prayer to it. You have to be prayerful. Shoes away anxiety. Sprouts wings and flies away. And then lastly, add thanksgiving. Don't be anxious, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, submit your request to God. Thanksgiving is a reminder of what God has already done. It allows you to be confident today that if he did it then, he'll do it now. 
if I've got some history about his working in my life, I can use that as, as ground evidence today that I can stand because he loves me like that. So our memory is to serve us in our faith. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Be grateful. Be grateful for all that he has done and don't wait for the next thing that he needs to do in order for you to be grateful. Be grateful for, 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 the, for, the, for the basis of your existence on the planet and the reservation that you have in glory, that you actually get to breathe. He sustained you all this time and he sent his son to die for you. If he never does another thing, being forgiven for all that you have done, all you will do and all you are doing, is more than enough to be happy every day of your life. Every day. There's never a reason for you not to be grateful. If you're unemployed, be grateful. If you're struggling through some kind of malady, be grateful. I didn't say be grateful for those things. I said be grateful. Because God is with you. If you have to go through a valley of the shadow of death, know that his rod and staff are with you to comfort you. Everybody's got to go through something on this planet because the planet's messed up. The world is messed up because it's got messed up people. So if you have to go through stuff because you are on the planet, it's really a benefit if you got God to go through it with. Be grateful. Be grateful. Gives you perspective. And when that happens, peace comes in. Even in the midst of all the other stuff, peace just kind of comes in and now you're, you're feeling different. You come out of your prayer time and you think, okay, yeah. You went in with some degree of anxiety, you come out with some confidence. What's changed? The circumstances haven't. Your perspective on who God is to you has. That's what you need. And peace comes. And what does peace do? And, and once you get to that point, you need to receive the peace that God has, which is and peace will come. The kind of peace which passes all understanding, which means this in, in Brett's language. It makes no sense. Peace, it makes no sense. You just got fired. Your husband's leaving you. And you're dealing with ovarian cancer. And you got a smile on your face. I mean, God seems to have turned his back on you. Why in the world are you so centered? It makes no sense. Because I know my God. I know my God. And he was, he was loving me before this stuff. He loves me in it. And he's going to heal me. He's going to give me a new job. And either a better version of the husband I got. Or a brand new one. One of the two. One of the two. He's going to provide for me like that. I know my God. A peace that makes no sense. Surpasses all comprehension. And that peace comes comes packing. It says he guards your heart and mind. It means he stands as a sentry over your soul and over your brain, warding off all the other stuff that would come to assault you and tell you what God is not, what God is not and, and how the world is against you and what's supposed to happen wrong. I mean, we live our lives, most of us, with this philosophy. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Now, I'm not mad at the 
the, the way we need to respond, knowing that the world is, is generally going the wrong way. I'm not mad at the idea that we need to have a fund for a rainy day or to make sure that we are preparing for, for what might happen. I'm not mad about that. What I am concerned about is what that philosophy leads to beyond the practice, which is a sense that never is anything going to happen to me good and that God is really not paving my way for success and favor and that I've got to figure out how in the world I'm going to make it through all this difficulty on my own. The fear that that statement leads to with people who don't know about God or people who don't know enough about God winds up being kind of a philosophy of life that doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to insert his intentional desire for peace in the midst of all that stuff for which you need to prepare. And so we need to have peace that comes in to guard our hearts and our minds against wrong thoughts that would sway us in the opposite direction of what God intends by allowing the circumstances now to define how we ought to be and how we ought to think. Peace needs to be that century that comes packing and says, you're not coming any further than where you are right now. Oh, that thought that just flew over your head? You can't stop it. Martin Luther said this. You cannot stop the birds of the air from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. You can't stop bad thoughts. They come. But you can stop them from taking roost in your brain. That's what peace does. Stands as a guard over your heart. Every day. So you have to receive it and say, I choose, Lord, in the midst of this prayer and thanksgiving. With all the things. And pushing out, I receive peace. And I let him stand as a sentry over my heart. Listen, this is supernatural now. It doesn't happen mind over matter. It's not because you just don't have any circumstances that are adverse. It's not the absence of conflict. It, it is the intentional insertion of the Holy Spirit in your life that he might manifest what peace looks like. Now, it's good to have the tool of peace because that's what Pete, Paul has talked about here. This is how you get peace in your life. But then there's not just obtaining the, the peace of God. There's also... Inviting the God of peace. Now, I'll be happy if I have peace that comes from God. Because that means I'm further away from the other stuff, which is really bad. But I think theologically I'm on point here. I'd rather have the peace of God and the God of peace with me. Because when the God of peace is with me, he brings peace with him. Um... I don't, I don't know that Paul was trying to convey here, as he says, when you do these things, the next part we're talking about, that the God of peace will be with you, that he's not with you if you don't do these things. Theologically, the Holy Spirit is with you regardless. He's got this enduring, this merciful, this kind, patient attitude that endures with us through all of our difficulty. He's amazing. He's not like us. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. When people would do the same thing to us, we would leave them and forsake them quickly. He doesn't do that. But there is this other kind of presence that goes beyond just the general theology of his endurance with us. It's the kind of presence that we feel like when we had worship and song this morning. Even though he's with you, did he show up in Walmart like he did this morning? 
I mean, you felt something. Some of you felt uncomfortable. I get it. These strange people lifting their hands, shouting, screaming. I just want a couple of hymns and get, get, get on out, Pastor Brett. That's what I'm looking for. I get it. We're a little weird. We're a little different. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to apologize. I'm sorry. It's just kind of a kind way of saying get over it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. We're not changing. <laughs> but when it comes to what we do here, why is it that we feel something different, the tangible presence of God descending in our midst? Why? It's not because the musicians are so amazing, though they are. It's not because the singers sing so melodically, though they do. We can't manufacture the presence of God. It's impossible. But God says this, when you praise me the way I want to be praised, says he descends and puts his throne on the praises of his people. It's what he says he does. So there's something that we do in order to provide an atmosphere where God is invited. It doesn't mean that he's not with you when you go to Walmart. It just means that when you do some things that allow his presence to be manifested differently, you feel it differently. My children have all gone to college. My baby's a freshman now. So I got seven of them. Hallelujah. And they've gone. All of them stayed in the state of Virginia. We have, they've been to all the schools. Nova, George Mason, James Madison, Shenandoah, Liberty, all the schools. We have financed the entire state of Virginia education for the last 15 years. But wherever they go, they know this. Mom and dad are with them. We're with them. Now, we're not there, but we're with them. But I had two of them come home from school this, this week. They're out of school for Thanksgiving. And both of them. Walked in the door and said, oh, it's good to be home. I can't, my, my, my youngest boy said, I can't wait to get home, Dad. Now, is there something about the brick and mortar of my house that's different than his dorm room? I mean, there's nothing more graced about the way they painted my house. It's the people who live in it. I'm no less with him when he's at liberty. But I'm differently with him when he's in my house. Are you listening to me? There are some things you can do that allow the Holy Spirit to be with you differently. No less, just differently. And Paul says this. So whatever is good and honorable and true and lovely, and whatever is pure, of good report, worthy of praise, excellent, think on these things. Dwell on these things. So in the first part, he says, if you want the peace of God to be with you, you've got to be a certain way. The second part, he says, if you want the God of peace to be with you, you've got to do a certain thing. You want his manifested presence to be with you. You want to feel that thing. You want to know, even when you're driving to work in that horrible commute, the Holy Ghost just filled your car. <laughs> he found you on 66. <laughs> And you're there listening, whether it's to me or some podcast or the Bible or worshiping with song. You're sitting there and all of a sudden you feel the pressure. Everybody else is cursing. All the way down 66, mad at everybody. You, something happened in your car. You did something that created an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit could be invited. 
You thought on something that was good, pure, perfect, lovely, of good repute. You meditated on those things which are excellent and worthy of praise. When you intentionally set your brain to dwell on things that are not wrong, and don't just not dwell on things that are wrong, but choose to dwell on things that are great, the Holy Spirit is attracted to that kind of thought because he realizes this. In order to get there, you had to press through all the negative, all the contrary, to find his will through it. And he says, I'm helping you now. I want to increase your level of dependency on me and your faith in me because you have entered into a place where you recognize my presence. I am not just in the peace. I am the God who brings peace even in conflict. And we want to find God in the peace. Everybody wants to experience God when nothing is going on. And generally speaking, they like it that way. But when conflict happens, we wonder where he is. He's still there. We just have to create the environment for him to be felt. Think on these things. Dwell, he says, on these things. Not just let them be passing thoughts. Live in that thought. I have to, I'm, I have to, I'm always having to listen to stuff in the news and because I've got to keep up to know what I need to say to you if there are things that are relevant that need to be discussed as, as a people so that we can respond well to our community. <clears throat> and, and, and most of the news is just flat depressing. I mean, it just sends your thoughts in a different way, and you get mad at stuff. You know, it, 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 I'm black. <laughs> you, you, you know that, okay? So, so like when a movie like, like 12 Years a Slave comes out, or, or Birth of a Nation, I can't go see that on Saturday. <laughs> I need a week. I need a whole week. Because if I see it on Saturday and I talk to you on Sunday, you in trouble. <laughs> oh, y'all are in trouble. I don't know what will come out of me. So I got to take that junk that happened to my ancestors and I got to process it well. I got to look at it redemptively. I've got to see, God, what are you doing in this? Not just what people did to people like me. What's your perspective on this? So that I come off, come out of the thing with a note of healing and reconciliation and hope rather than anger and bitterness. You got to make sure that you process the things in this world well so that you can work it around to those things which are good and pure and perfect and lovely. You don't ignore the stuff in this world. You just bring it through the filter of scripture. And you know what happens? The God of peace shows up. And, and we get to produce something like this because the God of peace showed up. Not the God of conflict, not the God of bitterness, not the God of anger, not the God of resentment. The God of peace. And so we get a Korean church that's happening upstairs. And we get a Latino church that's happening over there. And we get white people and black people. And every nation on the face of the earth worshiping in our congregation because the God of peace shows up. Potentially, we don't have them all, but it, it sounds good when you say it. I can't lie. I got to fix whatever I say wrong. 
And then he says, not only do you need to think on these things, but you need to, you need to practice some things too. So you need, you need to do some things with respect to thinking, right? Then you need to practice some things. He said, there are four things. What you have seen in me, what you have heard in me, what you have learned from me, and what you have received from me. Practice these things. And he says, you do that, the God of peace will be with you. So it's not just how you think, it's what you do. You can't have a thought process that doesn't work out into practice. Doesn't work that way in Christianity. You got to live what you believe. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't let other people describe you as that. Be consistent. What you believe, begin to live it. And beautifully, he said this, and not many ministers can say this, unfortunately. He didn't just say, practice doing right, learn well, see right. He said, what you have seen practiced in me, do that, you'll be okay. God will be with you. I pray that you would live a life whereby you could say that with confidence to everybody with whom you come in contact. People are looking for real. They're looking for authentic. I know you say you're a Christian, but I've been working with you for the last three years, and I had no idea. They're looking. Let them find it in you. And be able to say, what you've seen in me, I may not be perfect. Nobody could ever confuse me with perfect. I'm not perfect. But if you do what I've done, if you learn from my life, if what you've seen in me is a little bit further down the road than where you are, and what you have received from me has been a benefit to you, practice it because it will make you better than where you are right now. And if we do that, we won't just have the peace of God. God will abide with us. Father in heaven, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Help us as a people to think right and live right. Our community so badly needs help. And all we want to do is be what we need to be. Be be who you are to them. So help us, please.